amen to all of our guests that are here today. Thank you for being here. We're so honored that you've come. And we pray and believe that you're going to be blessed for being here. Our online audience, thank you for joining us today. We're so thankful that you also are, are joining us and all, online. And I just want to tell you that even though I know it's good online, it's better when you're here in person. And I hope you'll come tonight at 6.30 for church. It's going to be a great day. First steps, all of our members, all of our new members, and all of our guests, we invite you to come to First Steps immediately following this service in the dining room of the S&P Wilson Center, uh, and we will have lunch and spend some time together, and uh, we think it's such an important time together that it is a requirement to be involved in ministry, and so if you want to find a way to be involved in Bethlehem Church, I urge you and encourage you, if you will, please come to First Steps immediately following the service. Be Free is our church's drug and alcohol intervention program. And if you have a family member or if you yourself are struggling with addiction or you'd like to be here to support people who are, 5 o'clock in the dining room, again, of the S&P Wilson Center, you can be here for Be Free Prayer at 6. I want to encourage everyone in the church to be here for prayer at 6 o'clock. And when you come, come ready to pray. Amen. And let the Holy Ghost move. 6 o'clock tonight, our main service work day tomorrow night at 6. Uh, pretty much every Monday, unless we announce differently, is work night. We're making great progress. And then prayer, family prayer at 7.30 tomorrow night and Wednesday at 7.15. Everybody say tent revival. Tent revival has been one of our greatest outreaches the last couple of years. We've baptized many people, have many get the Holy Ghost. Tent revival is October 7th. 8 and 9. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, October 7, 8, and 9 by Work, Tire, and Auto. Our evangelist is Brother Philip Miller, and I know you're going to be blessed by his ministry. That Saturday, the 8th, that Saturday, the 8th, is a district men's day, and so we're going to be going to JNCC and Walnut on that Saturday uh, for a men's day. Breakfast is, uh, is early. And Bishop Wilson is going to be speaking to the men that morning. As there's also going to be a skeet shoot competition, target shooting, archery, fishing, food. And uh, there is a registration fee. But uh, if, if that's an issue, I want to be sure that you talk to me. Uh, we'll figure something out. i got a couple ideas in mind how we might be able to help you with that. But I need you to let me know as soon as you can so that we can, uh, so we can get our list to them so they can be prepared. That's the 8th of October on Saturday. Our Israel trip is May the 1st through May 11th next year. And uh, the cost, as far as we know, it is the same as it was the last trip a couple years ago, $2,550. That covers everything from uh, Chicago on. We'll get to Chicago. We'll make plans for that. Yeah, I need to know if you want to go. Uh, if you're planning to go, there'll be a deposit due on November the 1st. We'll talk to you about that. It was a fantastic, life-changing trip, and so we're looking forward to that. We'll get you back home before Mother's Day, and uh, there are no vaccination requirements at this time. That was an issue why we canceled our trip a year ago, and so that's not an issue now. So if you'd like to go on the Israel trip, I promise you it is a life-changing trip. You will enjoy it tremendously. Everybody say praise the, Lord. praise the Lord. Amen. We are in a great building program. Praise the Lord. 
We had our architect come out yesterday and meet with us. We were going, we wanted to ask him some advice on a couple of things. And uh, when he found out, he, he was surprised that we had got all that done in such a short amount of time. And that is because we have three or four men who have been here just about every day giving themselves tremendously, as well as several have been faithful to our Monday night work nights at 6 o'clock. Uh, to this point, one particular member of our church has provided all the lumber for the building, and, uh, and I'm so thankful for that. And uh, I'd call his name, but I don't know if he wants me to, so I'm not going to do it right now. But he has blessed, he has blessed us so much. But for us to move forward, we're all going to have to invest our time and finances into this project. And uh, we're showing God, by doing so, we're showing God that we're invested in his kingdom. And uh, so I, I, was, I was over here earlier in worship, and, uh, and I looked up to the platform, and man, God began to, to touch my heart. And uh, I'm going to call someone's name. They don't like their name to be called. But, uh, but I'm going to call it anyway. But I was thinking of Brother Sam and Sister Darlene Wilson. Um, they, when, when we built this building, I say we, I wasn't here yet. But when they built this building, they were such an integral part of giving and working and, and doing. And, uh, you know, that was, that was uh, in the, the late, mid, late 1980s. And, uh, and I looked up to the platform and I noticed they had a son-in-law up here. They had three grandchildren, a uh, granddaughter-in-law. Two of their children are here. Eight grandchildren, one great-grandchild. Their other son is married to a pastor's daughter in Kentucky. They're in church up there. And I'm just saying that when you invest in the kingdom of God, it is worth it. It is worth it. Amen. Things that don't have a price. Things that are eternal. And so I want you to be in prayer about what you can do sacrificially for this work of God so we can get it done and so we can move forward. If you look around on a, this isn't a, we didn't call a special revival service. This isn't a special meeting. This is our normal Sunday morning. You look around at the crowd and you see that our children are in Sunday school this morning. Our Sunday school teachers are out. The security team, uh, people, ushers, greeters that are, that are working around the building. And you realize that if we don't get going, if, you, if we don't get going, you're going to have to get more comfortable being closer to people. And so, and so we, we are believing God to continue to do a great work. And so we're going to ask for you to be in prayer, specifically today, asking God to help direct you in, uh, in your part to play in this work of God. Stand with me. Go to the book of Luke, chapter number 18. I hope I'm not Pastor Malachi today. Because Malachi talked a little bit about giving, and then for 400 years, nobody said a word until Matthew got brave enough. And so y'all were shouting and carrying on a few minutes ago. I hope I didn't, uh, I hope I didn't uh, talk you out of it. Amen. And doesn't the screen look awesome? Isn't that great? Thank God. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're so thankful for Brother Kevin helping us to, to, to get it at, at a 
good price. And thank you to everyone that worked to put it up. Thank you to everyone that gave to it. I will tell you that, uh, that, uh, that, that we are a little short for what we need to, uh, to, to pay all of it. And so if you want to give to it, it'll be a blessing for you and it'll be a blessing for your church. Luke chapter 18, verse number 1. If you found it, say praise the Lord. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city and she came unto him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while But afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him? Though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? He said, hear what the unjust judge said. I'm going to give her what she's asking for because if I don't, she's going to drive me crazy. I'm going to, and, and the title doesn't, at this moment, maybe seem like it goes with this message, but I hope it will in a few minutes. I'm going to preach this morning. I didn't come to watch. I came to win. I didn't come. Look at somebody. Tell them, I didn't come to watch. I came to win. Lord, I pray, God, that you would bless this beautiful congregation of people. These are your people called by your name. Your hand is upon them. You brought them to your house for a purpose, for a plan today. God, I pray for your anointing to move and anoint me to preach. Anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit says. Confirm your word with signs following. Do a work in somebody's life today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise this morning. (laughs) Hallelujah. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. It was the 21st day of January in the year 1910. 41,149 days ago, if you're curious. There wasn't a lot of news that happened that day that has left a great impact on the world. There was a flood in Paris. There was a train that went off the rails in Canada. According to Wikipedia, take it for what it's worth, there was only one birth of note that day. A man named Albert Rossellini, who eventually became the governor of the state of Washington. Almost completely unknown to history, 
was the birth of a young man in the European city of Budapest, Hungary. On that Friday, an obscure family welcomed the birth of their little boy. They named him Caroli. His last name was Takas. There really is nothing known about the first 26 years of his life other than he joined the Hungarian army. It's likely none of you ever remember having heard of him before. However, in his home country, he remains a national hero. According to the articles I read about him, everybody there knows his name and his story. In 1936, Caroli was a world-class pistol shooter. His goal was to represent his country in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. Because he was only at the rank of sergeant in the army, and the rule at that time was only commissioned officers were allowed to compete on the Olympic shooting team, he was not permitted to compete in the Berlin Games. After those games, they lifted that particular rule, and here's where his story takes a dramatic turn. In 1938, he was the top pistol shooter in the world. Everyone expected him to win the 1940 Olympic Games scheduled to take place in Tokyo, Japan. Those expectations soon vanished one terrible day when in training with his army squad, a faulty hand grenade exploded, shooting his right hand. His right hand was blown off, his shooting hand. Caroli spent weeks in the hospital, depressed at the loss of his hand and the end of his dreams. I will quote the story written about him. Quote, he did the unthinkable. He picked himself up, dusted himself off, and decided to learn how to shoot with his left hand. His reasoning was simple. According to the resource, he simply asked himself, why not? Instead of focusing on what he didn't have, a championship right shooting hand, he decided to focus on what he did have, a healthy left hand that with time could be developed to shoot like a champion. For months, he practiced all by himself. No one knew what he was doing. He didn't want to subject himself to people who would have most certainly discouraged him from trying to rekindle his dream. In the spring of 1939, he showed up at the Hungarian National Pistol Shooting Championship. The other, other shooters saw the former champion and came over to him to give them their condolences on his injury and to thank him for having the strength to come watch them shoot. They were surprised when he looked at them and said, I, quote, I didn't come to watch. I came to win. 
They were even more surprised when at the end of the day, he won. It appeared that his dream of winning the Olympic championship, the gold medal, was back on track until the world dealt him another devastating blow. Hitler's German blitzkrieg turned the world upside down. And when the war broke out, the 1940 Olympics in Tokyo, as well as the 44 Olympics in London, were canceled. Again, his dreams are crushed. It appears that he would never have the opportunity to win his gold. But in 1948, against much younger competition, he qualified and won the Olympic gold medal. He repeated again in 1952. And by the time he retired, he had won 35 national championships and two Olympic gold medals. When he died in 1936, he is regarded as the best shooter in the history of the world. I didn't come to watch. I came to win. Amen. This is not only the moral of a story of a long deceased Olympian, but I believe it's a biblical principle. Luke 18 and 1 said that he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men are always to pray and not faint to not fail in heart, to not give up, to not be wearied out, to not be exhausted. In other words, men are always to pray and never give up praying. What Jesus said is don't give up on your prayers. Don't let your prayers be wearied out, exhausted. I've seen people try to find God in their life and get frustrated. They didn't find what they were looking for in religion. They didn't find what they were looking for in denominations. But there's something different about being baptized in Jesus' name, repenting of your sins, and being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's not like any other old religious experience. They said unto Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Brothers and sisters, if you're going to be saved, you're going to have to give God everything you've got. You can't halfway hold on to the world and halfway slide into heaven. You're going to have to give God your all. You can't faint and give up and slack up and let go. Hallelujah. Can I preach to you for a minute? This watered down modern version of apostate Christianity that would have you believe that once you accept Jesus as your Savior, you cruise into heaven is a heresy that's propagated by dead religion. Paul made it clear that the Christian is to do their best to grow and to excel in their faith. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 9.25 And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. 
Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He made the analogy to athletes in a competition and said every man that strives for the mastery, everyone that tries to win, they're temperate in all things. They discipline themselves to do what they have to do to win. Everyone that striveth for the mastery, that phrase striveth for the mastery, it means literally to struggle or to compete for a prize, to contend with an adversary, to endeavor to accomplish, to fight, to labor fervently with difficulties and dangers, with strenuous zeal, to strive to, con- to obtain something. He said, if you are going to win, he said, the athlete gives everything they've got to win a corruptible prize. Amen. Hallelujah. But we strive for an incorruptible prize. Paul said, I am given everything I have. I'm fighting the adversary and given my very all to win my eternal crown. Can I tell you that you're not going to make heaven just sitting back and taking it easy. You're going to have to give your life to God and serving God. I know that goes against the modern religion that lets you do whatever you want to do on Friday and Saturday night and everything's cool by the time you come to church on Sunday morning. But I've come to tell you, if you're going to make it to heaven, you got to live for God. You have to give your life to God. He said, I'm striving for the mastery. I'm giving my everything. I'm giving my all. I'm doing everything I can to make heaven my home. I'm not planning to be deterred by people, by pressures, by temptations. I'm planning on giving everything I've got. I wish somebody would raise your hand and say, God, I want to make heaven my home. Paul told the Philippians, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That that word press means I'm pursuing to seek after eagerly, to earnestly endeavor to acquire. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, friends and guests, I'm doing my very best this morning to try to stir some people up who may be spiritually coasting or spiritually stalled. The enemy, let me preach to you for a little bit. The enemy wants you to accept a level of living that is below the call of God on his church. He wants you to be satisfied being cold and dry and empty, content, apathetic about excellence and spiritual growth. But the call of God is on your life to go beyond where you are. To go beyond where you're currently satisfied. I've come to tell every one of us, from the pulpit to the back door, there's more for you. There's more for you. There's more, but you got to be striving for the mastery. You got to want more than just dead, cold religion. You got to want more than sitting on a pew, untouched, unmoved, and unshaken. You got to want more than just a Sunday morning experience. You got to want more. You got to strive for the mastery. If you're going to inherit an incorruptible crown, somebody ought to reach their hand to God and say, God, if He's preaching to me, stir me up. 
can accept losing your dream or you can allow the Holy Ghost to stir you this morning and begin to change something in your life today. There are some things in the Spirit that are not attained with casual worship, casual prayer, and cold hearts. I feel like I need to say it again. There are some things in the Spirit that are not attained with casual worship, casual prayer, and cold hearts. There are some levels of revival that only come with perseverance and relentless pursuit. You've got to want it more than you want your comfort zone. More than you care about the person on the other end of the pew, what they think about you. You've got to want it more than what you worry about what the people in front of you, behind you, or your friends in the youth group think about you. You've got to want it more than you care about what your family, your neighbors, your co-workers. You've got to be passionate. God, I want the mastery. I want everything I can have. I'm still trying to stir. I wish somebody would help me pray right now. I'm trying to stir some people. You've accepted less than what God wants you to have. Jesus went on to say in the second verse of Luke 18, there was a city, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. The Greek phrase here means that the man had lost his awe of God. He was no longer amazed by God. He didn't see God as awesome. He might have said God's awesome, but he didn't really think it. And he didn't regard man. He had no respect for people. He wasn't inclined to give mercy. He wasn't moved by compassion or divine principles. This man wasn't concerned with what anybody else thought. He was just a judge. Verse number three, and there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. In that particular culture, unless, a, unless wealthy, a widow was generally one of the lower citizens on society's rung. Women in those days generally could not own property. They were not normally allowed to get an education. Therefore, they were, in the general sense, cursed to poverty when widowed unless they had grown children willing to provide for them. The point is that in this story... This particular lady had no other alternatives. An adversary is her opponent in a lawsuit. The widow wasn't apparently in a court case against someone who had defrauded her. She had legal grounds for victory, but was not enjoying the fruit of the win. She needed a judge to step in and make the other side pay the damages that were due. The judge refused to help. Verse number four said, and he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man. He said, I'm not doing this for God and I'm not doing it for her. Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming she weary me. He said, this lady's driving me crazy. 
Every time I turn around, here she comes. Every time that I come to court, here she is. He said, I'm going to finally give her what she wants. You husbands know what I'm talking about. You don't have to say amen. I know you're chicken. I know you're scared. It's all right. I think somebody told me today's wife appreciation day. So I appreciate my wife. Amen. Hardest working lady I know. He said, she's driving me out of my mind. I had a man ask me for some Tylenol this morning. I said, I know you're married. He asked for two, I gave him four. Because I don't expect him to get divorced during church. She's troubling me. I'm gonna get I'm gonna avenge her because she's gonna wear me out by coming over and over and over. This lady will not quit. She will not stop. She won't leave me alone. She just keeps coming. She won't quit. She refuses to settle for less than what is due her. She won't be satisfied with just what she has. She wants all she can get. She insists on getting everything that is hers. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge says. He said, listen to what this guy, he's, he doesn't even care about God and he's smart enough to know. That if I don't give her what she asked for, she's going to wear me out. He said, how much more shall God avenge his very own, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Amen. He said, if this unjust judge will give this lady what she asked for because she won't leave him alone, how much more will God Give his own people, his very elect, what they ask for if they don't give up, if they just keep coming, if they don't quit shooting, if they don't stop. I've come to tell somebody, I've come to church today, but I didn't come to watch. I came to win. I didn't come to be a spectator and sit back and just let the service go. I came to get what I need out of this service. I'm not content to go home the way I came. I'm not satisfied leaving with what I came in with. I want more of God and I want an experience with Him. And I'm trying to stir somebody up to believe there's more for my family. There's more for my marriage. There's more for my children. There's more for me. I've come to tell somebody I didn't come just to watch. Amen. I'm 51 years old. Last year, my, my father-in-law was down. He's 70. How old is he? 72 now? 73? If I was younger, I'd probably remember. So 
So he's 73 now, so he was 72 last year. That's, that's high-powered math. And I'm 51, so that means I was 50 last year. And so my father-in-law still plays basketball three times a week. And when he comes down, he likes to play ball, and, uh, and I don't care anything about it. But I always get in trouble for not doing enough with him. And so he wanted to come down when the boys were playing ball at the gym. And so I, I came, I did my duty, I came down. I didn't want to play basketball, not a thing in me wanted to wake up that sore the next day. But I came over, and uh, we had a missionary here, Brother Jacob Azar, from, from, uh, from a soccer-playing country, not a basketball-playing country. And, uh, and so they, they, they had so many guys show up to play ball that they divided up on teams. And so somehow they put the 51-year-old with the 72-year-old and the missionary. like my lord and so there were some boys from up around germantown olive branch 17 18 19 20 year old kids in good shape good basketball players and somehow we got matched up against them in our first game and when they walked down there and saw the 51 year old the 72 year old and the missionary they gave me the most smart aleck look they gave that I mean, it was, it was the, it made me so mad. Oh, I can't explain how, ugh. I'm not a sore loser, but I hate to lose. And they gave me that look where they just dismissed me. It was like, like I was a piece of garbage. They threw out the window on the side of the road, and I looked at my father-in-law and said, I don't care what we have to do. If we got to cheat or break their legs, we are not losing to these punks. I'm telling the God's honest truth. I said, we are not losing to these boys. The way they looked at us, we will not lose to them. Man, I came out, I hadn't played ball at least in over a year. I came out on fire. My father-in-law was hitting all his shots. The missionary didn't hurt us. Man, we got out to, I think we were playing to 24. We got out to like an 18 to two lead. And by the time we got there, I was like. <sighs> my father-in-law would throw me the ball and I'd hold it on my hip and just stand there and breathe. <laughs> it got to be 18 to 4, 18 to 6, 18 to 8, 18 to 10, 12. Got to be 18 to 17. I told my father-in-law, I said, if it kills us, we're going to win this game. I am not going to be dismissed by these punks. I saw one of them Friday night. I reminded him of it. That's right. I preached at their church a few months ago. I told the whole church about it. Because by the time it was over, we won. We barely won, but we won. I didn't come to watch. I came to win. Amen. One of the boys, one of the boys a few weeks ago, 
Brother Mike, he came up to me a few weeks ago. He said, I want a rematch. I said, I'm never playing you again in anything the rest of my life. I said, I won't even so much as play you in a game of checkers till the day I die. You're going to die losing to me one to nothing for the rest of your life. I didn't come to watch. I came to win. Let me tell you, at some point, you have to understand that the devil's trying to keep you from your destiny. And you got to get some fight in you. You got to get some backbone in you. You got to get some stand up in you and say, I didn't come just to show up. I didn't come just to watch the devil destroy my family. I didn't come just to watch the devil ruin my mind. I came to win. I'm trying to stir somebody up to go to another level. I didn't come to watch. I came. I came into this place to win. I'm not just a spectator in this service. Can I be honest with you? I'm always going to be honest with you, but can I be open with you too? There's sometimes we're having worship services, and I watch, man, these people take off running. Zoom, zoom, zoom. Happy feet up here on the front row. Wearing his spring shoes. I watched him doing it, and then I watched his little brother right beside him last Sunday night. I watch these kids. I watch people worship. I watch our sweet sister Culver come down here and out worship almost everybody in the church. And I stand over here, and I know that if I do what I'm getting ready to do, when I get up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom because I'm 51, and I get out, I get, I roll out of bed, and the first thing I do is. I'm not lying. That first step, man, my heels are so tight. My feet are so, my legs are so stiff. I'm not lying. I'm telling the God's honest truth. I'm halfway to the bathroom before my back is finally all the way straight. It takes until I get back to bed to actually feel like I can move. And I stand over here. And while all these people are worshiping and carrying on, I think in my mind, if I do this, I'm going to be like that in the morning. But then I realize I didn't come here to watch. I came to win. Can I be honest and tell some of you, if you don't take your worship to another level, you're not going to win. You're going to be another trophy on the wall of hell. You want to be on the scrap heap of history as somebody that started but didn't finish. But I didn't come to watch. I came to win. I came to get involved in what God's trying to do. Your victory takes your action. Hallelujah. There was a place in Jerusalem called Bethesda. It was between the sheep gate and the temple according to the Bible. This particular street between the sheep gate and the temple was where the shepherds would drive their herds of sheep through the streets to take them either to the temple to provide sacrifice for the morning and evening sacrifices or to take their sheep to the market to sell. And so the sheep gate was done so they would, the, the, the herders would know to bring their sheep through the sheep gate so that the sheep wouldn't leave their remnants on all the streets. 
just on one of the streets. Now, do I need to explain that anymore? You understand what I'm saying? Sheep are messy. And sheep don't know that they're supposed to use the sheep room. The street is the sheep room. And so from the street, from the sheep gate to the temple is littered with the residue of herd after herd of sheep coming through the street. You can imagine what that street was like after the sheep had traveled down, leaving the signs that they had been here. Bethesda was a pool that's on that street where at a certain time of year, an angel of the Lord would come and trouble the water, stir up the water. And when the water started to move, whoever got in the water first was healed of whatever disease they had. And the Bible said in John 5 and 5, and a certain man was there which had an infirmity for 30 and 8 years. For 38 years, this man had not been able to walk on his own. Almost four decades facing the difficulty of life in the ancient world, unable to walk. In verse number six, it said, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to be healed? Verse 7, the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. And when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. See that guy over there? His cheer to take him to the water. That guy's best friend is here. That lady's husband has brought her this boy, his parents brought him. Everybody around here has somebody to help them. And as soon as the water begins to move, they get helped into the water. And he says, but while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. I'm on my I'm thinking back to the How did they crawled his way? legs through the streets. Are you still with me? Through the street from the sheep gate to the temple. Dragging himself on the stones where those herds of sheep had left their residue. Because I'm desperate. If I don't get to that water, I got no hope. I'm going to be this way the rest of my life. So I know I got to crawl through mess. And I know I got to crawl through all kinds of stuff. But I know if I don't get there, I'll never get my miracle. And so I'll go through whatever I have to go through to get what I need from God. And so I got no man to help me. I got nobody to pick me up and carry me so I don't have to get that stuff all over my garments and my hands and my knees and my feet. 
I got nobody to put me on their back and take me to the pool so I can lay there and wait for the water. So while they're all being carried, I'm crawling myself through all that mess and through all that residue to get my miracle. I'm telling you, if you want your miracle bad enough, there'll be nothing too too bad or too difficult to go through. You won't complain, well, they're not playing my song. Well, that's not my favorite preacher. They got church too early or too late. That's too loud. It's not loud enough. It's too cold. It's too hot. If you really want your miracle, none of that will matter to you. It won't make a difference to you. You'll do what? You'll crawl through whatever you got to crawl through to get to God. Hey, look, I understand some of you just don't want it bad enough. You don't want your marriage to make it bad enough. You don't want your children off of drugs bad enough. I understand some of you are perfectly satisfied with where you are. But to somebody here, I'm trying to stir you up to say, I want more. I want everything. I want to be avenged of everything the enemy took from me. I want my joy back. I want my peace back. I want my deliverance back. I want my heart back. I've come to tell somebody you can want it if you want it but you can have it if you want it bad enough but a half-hearted praise that's not the kind of miracle praise that gets you from the sheep gate to the pool When you're desperate, you don't care what you have to crawl over to get to God. You don't care what you got to push through to get to God. If you want it bad enough, you can have it, but you got to have the want to. gets there he still has nobody to help him Jesus said do you want to be made whole I wouldn't be here if I didn't want to be made whole I wouldn't have shown up at the pool I wouldn't have crawled through all that stuff to get here if I didn't want to be made whole I wouldn't have put up with all the stuff I put up with to come here to get my miracle if I didn't want it Jesus said, will you be made? He said, I want to be made whole, but I got nobody to help me. There's nobody to throw me in the water. There's nobody to help me get there. But look at this phrase. This is the key to his entire miracle. But while I am coming, I know I can't do it. I know I might not make it. I know I don't have anybody to help, but even though I know the odds are small, I'm not giving up. I'm not stopping. I didn't come to watch. I came to win. Jesus. Somebody needs to get a while I'm coming in their spirit and say, I understand that I may not be able to make it, but I can give everything I've got to try. Lay down. This is the lame man. I don't care. He wants, he, he's such a nice boy, he wants to know how I want him to lay. I said, I, I don't fall asleep. <laughs> Jesus walks into the pool of Bethesda. And the Bible said there was a great multitude surrounded by people everywhere that need a miracle. 
They're all there because they need a miracle, either for themselves or for someone they care about. Jesus walks in. I get to be Jesus. It's my sermon. I get to be Jesus if I want to be. Praise the Lord, Bobby. Jesus walks into the pool of Bethesda, and he sees all these sick people. He's got power to heal every one of them. He can heal him and her and him and her and him and her and her and her. And he can heal every one of them. He can deliver every one of them. There were multiple times where he healed multitudes. But this particular day, I'm so glad you're here, Sandy Jill. I'm so proud of you. This particular day, he walks in with all this multitude of people. And he ignores all of them. He finds one guy. Take up your bed and walk. Picks him up. Sends him out healed. And then Jesus walks out and leaves all the rest of them there. Why? What was it about this one man? What was it about this one man that Jesus didn't feel guilty for ignoring everybody else and just touching him? It was because that one phrase, while I am coming. I, God respects people who refuse to give up. I didn't come to watch. I came to win. You may feel like you're a long way from your breakthrough, but if you just keep coming, if you just keep coming, if you just keep showing up, your miracle's on its way because Jesus will ignore a multitude of half-hearted. He'll ignore, ignore a multitude of halfway. He'll ignore a multitude of people that take it or leave it and find that one person that says, I don't care what I got to do. I'll crawl through it all to get somebody just needs to get some determination. I didn't come to watch. I came to win. I'd be done by now. But if you were hoping I'd be done by now, you should have come to the altar already and I would be done. I'm still trying to pry some of you out of that cold, dead place you've been for weeks and years and months because you have settled for less than what God wants you to have. You've accepted that my life's just going to be this way. You need to break out and crawl through whatever mess you're in and say, I got to get to that man that can help me. I got to get to the altar. I didn't come to watch. I didn't come to church today just to turn around and go home. I didn't come to church today just to go through the motions. I came to win. I came to get what I did. I'm trying to stir somebody. I need more from you, God. I'm desperate. I'm preaching to somebody that in the back of your mind you know you want more but the devil's lied to you and told you you can't have it. I'm preaching to somebody today that you know you need a breakthrough but you've convinced yourself that it's never going to happen. I'm preaching to people today that you've been disappointed so much with dead religion that you're not sure that it's real anymore. I've come to tell you, you've come to the right place for your life to be turned around. You've come to the right moment in life for your family to be energized by the power 
of the Holy Ghost. This is change day for somebody. This is turnaround day for somebody. This is the this is the doorway to a brand new life and a brand new destiny. This is your moment, but you can't just come to watch. You can't just just come here and stand around and say, "Well, I I just watch and see what's going on." I didn't come to watch. I came to win. I came to get it. I came to get all. My God, I wish somebody'd open their mouth and praise God right now. There's a breakthrough for somebody, but you got to break yourself out. You got to break yourself out. You got to go to another level. I didn't come to watch. I came to whatever I got to do to get through. That's what I'm, if I got to run, if I got to shout, if I got to roll. I have a shot. Somebody ought to open their mouth and let the Holy Ghost talk through you right now. Hey, the Holy Ghost is here. The Deliverer is here. The Savior is in this house. That's right. Come on. The Holy Ghost is moving here. If you find somebody that's responding to the Holy Ghost, just reach out. Take them by the hand and worship with them or lay your hand on them and pray for them. But somehow, some way, this is life change day for somebody. Amen. Come on. Press yourself to another level. Push yourself to another level. Push yourself out of the ordinary. You got to start shooting. You got to keep shooting. I didn't come to watch. I came to win.
church tonight at 6.30, prayer at 6. We also have a quick announcement for Miss Michelle that she wants to go over real quick. Tonight we're going to be having another dinner the ladies ministry is going to be putting on and we want to thank, take a minute to thank everyone for all you, you've come and you've eaten and you've given and we really appreciate it and Sister Kenyon's been doing a wonderful job organizing the ladies and getting everything going so let's give Sister Kenyon a big hand. Um, tonight we're going to be having the $5 soup dinner. We're going to have taco, vegetable beef, potato, corn chowder, chicken noodle, and Brother Joe Tucker is going to be doing a white bean Polish sausage. So that sounds very interesting and delicious. So y'all come on out. $5, you can't beat it. Praise the Lord. How about that $5 dinner tonight? Come expecting a great move of God tonight. I want to challenge you before we close out service. Get to know somebody that you've never met today. Get to know somebody. Maybe the first three minutes after service, get to know somebody that you've never spoken to before. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.